excited for today's message. I really am. Because today's message is really on the heart of God. It's on the compassion of Christ. And it's about what God wants to do in our life. How God wants to mold us and make us. And I think anytime you talk about just what God wants to do in your life, that's just exciting. It's encouraging to sit back and think, this is what God wants to do in my life. But before I talk about that, I want to talk a minute about raising kids. Because I think if you've been around kids for just a little while, you know raising children can be very difficult. It can be extremely difficult in some situations. And it's hard because one of the hardest things to teach kids is limits. The whole word no. That's a hard thing to teach kids. As Dr. Kurt Thompson talks about, in parenting, a great deal of parenting is focused on teaching kids to understand their desires. That in order to be healthy and successful in the world, that kids need to understand desires. So parenting is often focused on two main goals for small children. I mean, there's many other goals, but there's two things that parents have to teach their kids when it comes to understanding your goals and desires and wants. And the first thing is kids need to understand what their wants are, what their needs are, and they have to be able to articulate their needs or their wants. I mean, you think about it, when kids are little, we're always really encouraged when, yeah, he finally, he could ask for something, that the little baby could say, cheerio, or they could point to something, you're like, yeah, you're articulating your needs. That's such a milestone. That's such a good thing for kids to do. We always cheer that on. And the second thing that parents have to teach their kids is limitations. That sometimes you may ask for something and the response might be, nope, not now, maybe later, or you might get something different than you asked for. That's hard for kids. You still encourage them, tell us what you want. And then sometimes you have to say, nope, you're not going to get that. That can be hard for kids. So research has shown that the stronger a child feels attachment to a parent, the easier it is for them to express desire and to accept limitations. A child that grows up in a healthy environment will be able to feel more love and security so they feel more confidence when they ask for something, when they're expressing what's on their inside versus a child that doesn't feel very safe. They're going to have a hard time requesting because they don't think they're in a safe environment. So in many ways, raising a child is very similar to our process of discipleship with Jesus. It's no surprise that the very first question that Jesus said to his disciples was, what do you want? That Jesus' first question to say to disciples, get in touch with what do you want on the inside? What are you asking for? What are you looking for? What would really satisfy you? And a big part of following Jesus is actually expressing to Jesus, what are our needs? What are our wants? What are our longings? What are our desires? And really getting in touch with those things. But just like a child needs healthy attachment to the parent to feel comfortable expressing their wants, it's the same with a follower of Jesus. You have to feel that attachment with Jesus so you feel really safe saying, this is what I really want and this is what I really desire. And it takes a lot of connection to Jesus to even accept limitations. So if we're going to be able to express our needs and wants to Jesus, it's so important that we feel a strong connection to Jesus. 
So as you know, God in his wisdom, he did know life would be hard, it would be challenging, it would be difficult, that there would be many obstacles. So he created Jesus to be that one person that we could go to at any time for any reason that we would feel safe and secure going to Jesus to express our needs. So I want to pause right now and ask you that question of, do you feel that Jesus really wants to listen to your needs? Do you feel confident that you can go to Jesus and he's sitting there waiting saying, yeah, I want to hear what you want. I want to hear what you need. But a better question that I have is, do you think your family and friends that don't know Jesus feel confident that Jesus wants to listen to their needs as well? Do you think your family and friends that don't know Jesus think that Jesus has invited them to sit at a table with him and that they can go to Jesus and they have direct access to Jesus? I think that's a really important question of do the people around us that don't know Jesus, do they feel like they have access to Jesus? And that's really the heart of this message that I'm doing today. If you are probably really in tune and have a good memory, you might say, this message sounds real familiar. I did part of this message about eight months ago, and I did another part of this message about four years ago. But I'm drawn towards this message because it shows the compassion of Christ. And if we really desire to go out and to share the gospel of Christ with other people, we have to go in the compassion of Christ. And that's why I like this message. That's why I like the gentleness of Christ, because it helps us to see what God wants to do in our own lives so that we are effective ambassadors for Jesus. So, that's why we're looking at the heart of Jesus. See, so often in these messages this year, when we've been talking about spiritual gifts, that's a lot about what Jesus does, his actions on the outside. When you talk about spiritual formation, fruit of the Holy Spirit, you're talking about what Jesus is like on the inside. And I think sometimes it's easy to try to duplicate what Jesus does on the outside. And you can duplicate and you can pretend for a while, but it's hard to pretend a transformation that happens on your inside. And that's why I like talking about spiritual formation because that's that deep transformation that God wants to do in each of us. So that's why we're talking about gentleness today. And we're going to continue this series that's called Restoried. I like that title. Restoried by. Today we're talking about restoried by kindness. And some people are like, what is that word? Rest-? Oh, gentleness. <laughs> Thanks, Becky, for listening. <laughs> that was a test. You passed. I'll take you to lunch today. Restoried by gentleness. Thank you. Phew. No wonder why this message sounds similar. I did that last week. Anyway. I like the word restored. It's kind of an interesting word because the word is just talking about living the life that God intended for you to live. Restored is the story that you tell people after God has brought restoration and transformation and wholeness into your life. I think a great example of being restored is Joseph in the Old Testament. Here this young man is raised by a family. His brothers (laughs) sell him into slavery, pretty much left for dead gets thrown into prison, he's accused of things he doesn't know, and that is basically the story of Joseph's life. Rejected, abandoned, neglected, his life is going in one direction until God gets involved in his life and brings complete transformation to his life, and so he's restored to the point that his life is going in a different direction. 
See, restoring is what happens in your life when you can look back and say, everything that the enemy used and had intended to harm me, now God has used it to advance me. That's why Joseph, at the end of his life, he could say, yeah, look what you all did. You tried to destroy me, but God used it for my good. That is restored. When you get to that place, you can look back on your life and say, look what that enemy tried to do here and there, and look how God has used it to transform me and to use what came as a difficulty for me. Now I'm actually using it to help other people. That's a life of restored, and we like a life of restored because we're all storytellers. We want to get to the place that our story is not tragedy. It's not, I'm in jail, I'm in prison, I'm accused. But we get to the place like Joseph when we can say, but look what God has done. That's why we're focusing on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because that's that deep transformation that God wants to do in our life. So to remind you, Galatians 5 verse 22 talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the character of Christ. And when we understand the character of Christ, we understand that's what God wants to do in our life. We are going to be like Christ, not in just what we do, but be like Christ in what goes on inside of us. So Paul says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's good that we study this because it helps us to see what is God doing inside of me right now? How does Jesus bring transformation to our life? And it's through his gentleness. One of the most famous passages in the Bible about Jesus and gentleness is Matthew 11, verse 28, where it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are three incredibly powerful verses in the Bible that talk about Jesus. They talk about his heart. In the middle of this invitation that Jesus makes, Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus could have used thousands of words to describe himself. And in all of the New Testament, he uses two words. He says, I'm gentle and I'm lowly. Another word for lowly is I'm humble. I'm gentle and I'm humble. That's what Jesus wants you to know about him, that he's gentle. Now, for one thing, when the Bible talks about Jesus' heart, it's not talking about his emotions. Instead, it's talking more about his drive or his determination. When Jesus says, I'm gentle, that helps us understand what motivates Jesus. Jesus is motivated by gentleness. In the same way, that's what we should expect in our life. That we should be motivated by gentleness. Not by anger. Not by frustration. Not by hostility. Not by proving a point. But we would be motivated by gentleness. So what does gentle even mean? According to some nice Bible definitions, gentleness is showing care and respect for others in the same way that you act and speak or a gentle person speaks truth in a way that other persons can receive it. See, it's important to understand that gentleness does not mean weak or powerless. I think the best way to understand gentleness is to look at what gentleness drove Jesus to do. And one of the best illustrations is the gospel story of Jesus flipping over tables in the temple 
And another story is in John 8 where Jesus meets a woman caught in the act of adultery. Now you look at the story of Jesus flipping over tables and you think that doesn't look like a picture of gentleness. That looks like a picture of Jesus very frustrated. Looks like a picture of Jesus angry. But we have to remember why did Jesus flip over the tables? What was Jesus' motivation? Jesus was flipping over the tables because the people that were selling items at the table were making access to the temple impossible for people that were marginalized or poor. Jesus was flipping over the tables because he wanted every single person to have access to him. And that's what Jesus' gentleness does. It drives Jesus to remove any obstacle, remove any barrier that would prevent people from coming to him. And that is a picture of compassion. That Jesus will use his power and his authority and his precision and his accuracy to remove anything that would prohibit any of us or any person that doesn't know Jesus from coming to him. That Jesus is always on the receiving, always wants to make access to him available. And that is a picture of gentleness. Whatever blocks you from Jesus, he's going to remove. Whatever blocks a friend of yours that doesn't know Jesus, Jesus will remove it. But in this little three verses, there is a requirement that you have to have to have access to Jesus. There's one requirement that Jesus lists. List Matthew 20, 11, 28 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, if you feel like you're not good enough to come to Jesus, or you feel like you have to do a bunch of activity in order to come to Jesus, this is a really important verse. Or if you're talking to a person, they feel like I'm not good enough to come to Jesus, or I need to clean myself up in order to come to Jesus, this is a really good verse to remember. Because Jesus is clearly saying to his audience, come to me all who labor and carry a heavy load. See, Jesus is making a requirement in order to come to him. And the only requirement to come to Jesus is that you have to have a burden or you have to have a carry a heavy load. That's the only requirement. Jesus didn't say, come to me after you get all cleaned up, after you get settle all your sins, after you repent for everything. Jesus, no, he says, come to me if you have a problem or if you have a difficult situation in your life. That's comforting. There wasn't a list of qualifications in order to come to Jesus. In other words, what Jesus is doing in this verse is he's saying, access to me is available to every single person as long as you have a burden. And remember when Jesus was talking, he was talking to a group of people who felt under a heavy burden of the Old Testament law. This was happening in the New Testament. They felt like they have a heavy burden under the Old Testament. They felt like they still had to fulfill all the laws of the Old Testament. They were listening to the scribes and the Pharisees who were putting extra burdens on them. When the scripture talks about people who labor, that's code word for people who are working to the point of utter exhaustion. So Jesus' invitation to people is, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you weary? Are you feeling defeated? Are there things in your life that you cannot manage anymore? If you have any of those things, well, then you have direct access to me. And I pretty much think that the list that Jesus gives out pretty much includes everybody. It's pretty much Jesus' invitation. You all are welcome because I know every one of you feels one of these issues that you have. 
if you don't feel like you have one of these issues, then in, and then in verse 30, Jesus adds another caveat here. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the invitation for Jesus to come to him. See, a lot of people, we look at the, bird, the yoke is easy and the burden is light, and, and you can refer to the yoke as, as an illustration of submission or surrender to Jesus. And that's true. But see, another reason the yoke is used because it's a reference to you can't do it on your own. And it's Jesus' invitation to any person who's trying to do it all on their own. And he's saying, you won't be able to do it. But if I'm in the yoke with you, you'll be able to do much more than you ever thought possible. So again, Jesus' invitation is here is for anybody who has a burden or anybody who's trying to do it alone. He's saying, come to me and I'm going to help you in this situation. And what I like about that is because Jesus gives us permission to say, I do feel inadequate. I feel like I'm not good enough. I can't do it on my own. I tried. And so this passage helps us to see that actually our weakness becomes an advantage in the kingdom of God. That our burden actually becomes a commodity in the kingdom of God. A lot of times I think it's so easy to look at the hardships in our life and we say, why doesn't this just go away? My life would be so much better if this problem would go away and that problem would go away and that problem would go away. But listen to what Psalm 34, 18 says. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. It's comforting to know that whatever difficulty is in your life, that God is using it to draw closer to you. And that's a beautiful verse when we speak to people who don't know Jesus or who feel like they're very far away from Jesus, that actually Jesus is really close to them. Because if he's close to the brokenhearted, that means he's probably pretty close to a person that's lost. Because he's trying to rescue them. And he's trying to make an invitation for them. Jesus goes so far in Matthew 5, 11, says, Blessed are those who mourn, so they'll be comforted. Most people are mourning right now. And Jesus is close to us offering comfort. It's just a beautiful illustration that there's no obstacle that's preventing us from coming to Jesus. That Jesus has set a table and every single person is welcome. As long as you have a burden, as long as you feel inadequate, you can come to that table and have a meal with Jesus. I think one of the best illustrations of Jesus' gentleness is John chapter 8. The woman caught in the act of adultery. Let me read for you John 8, verses 1 through 11. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teacher of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down. He wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer from him. So he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. Then Jesus stood up again, and he said to the woman, 
where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. This is such a compassionate story of Christ that shows you that there is no barrier or obstacle to come to Jesus. That you can be caught in the act of sinning and you still have direct access to Jesus. This is a beautiful story of a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And you can imagine what that day was like. Here Jesus is early morning, he's at the temple, he's with his disciples, he's teaching them about the Bible, he's teaching them about the Old Testament. And he can see a whole commotion coming towards him as these old religious leaders and scribes and Pharisees, they're dragging this woman to come in front of Jesus. And you can just imagine, there's not many details that are written in the story, but you can imagine it's quite a commotion. And more and more people are probably watching this scene and probably more and more people are coming to watch what is actually going on. And they finally come in front of Jesus and here's a whole crowd of men that they've caught a woman in the act of adultery. And they are there to prove, they're there to try to discredit Jesus. And so here this woman, she's probably barely dressed. She probably just grabbed maybe the sheet off the bed and there she is. I would imagine she's probably on the ground thinking, my life is soon going to be over. And what's so interesting is she was caught in the act of adultery means that she was caught in the act with another person. But that person's not there. Only this woman is here. Those leaders were trying to discredit Jesus and they're trying to discredit this woman. So here she is alone. And my guess is she's probably on the ground thinking, I hope my life is over really soon. I'm probably, my guess is she's on the ground thinking there's absolutely no way out of this. Because these, these religious leaders have said to Jesus, she broke the Old Testament law. Well, she did. She thinks her life's going to be over. My guess is she's probably hoping maybe the first stone would hit her hard enough to kill her in the first one. But she's probably thinking, I sure hope I don't have to sit here for a long time getting stoned before I die. And then Jesus does something so unique that nobody ever saw. He bends down in the sand. Just taking his finger and just writing in the sand. I think every theologian has tried to figure out what Jesus has said. I don't think any of us figured it out. I think, my guess, I think Jesus is doodling in the sand, throwing people off. My guess is he was probably talking to the woman, probably whispering to her. Probably saying something to her. Here she's on the ground thinking, my life's over. This is it. This is my life. So Jesus is doodling in the sand, and then he steps up and he looks at the crowd and says, hey, if any of you are innocent, go ahead and throw the first stone. Go ahead. Then Jesus goes back down and starts doodling again in the sand. Nobody throws anything. Instead, you hear stone after stone after stone dropping to the ground. And then suddenly, the crowd starts leaving. One by one, everybody's leaving. It's a beautiful picture of when Jesus is in a room, how conviction of sin can quickly happen. That without Jesus addressing anybody's sin, suddenly Jesus still sitting there, and those scribes and Pharisees, they realized they couldn't throw a stone at her. 
Then Jesus says something very interesting to the woman. He says to her, do you see anybody here that condemned you? And she says, no, they've all left. And then Jesus says something startling. He says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. And then the story kind of ends. It's a beautiful story, but you have to look at the story and say, how is she not going to go and sin anymore? I mean, if she could have stopped sinning, she probably would have stopped that behavior a long time earlier because I don't think anybody wanted to end their life to go down the path she did. So how is she actually going to change? Just because Jesus said, don't do that anymore. So I want to close with just three important lessons that we learn from the story of how Jesus changes our heart. Because anybody can change their behavior for a little while, but changing your behavior long term is pretty much impossible to do unless Jesus really does a transformation in your heart. And that's what we all want. We want our heart transformed and our mind renewed. We just don't want to temporarily be able to change our behavior to look good. And so how did Jesus change her behavior? He did it by changing her heart. See, the first thing that happened to this woman is that her behavior changed because Jesus accepted her first. You notice what Jesus said to her. First he said, I don't condemn you. And then he said, now go and sin no more. See, usually in our church culture, we like to say, do not sin anymore, and then I won't condemn you. But the first thing that Jesus said to her is, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. That needs to be our attitude to a lost world. That Jesus loves you that he cares for you, that he's not condemning you. Because once people receive the love of God, do you know what happens? Then they want their behavior to change. We don't change our behavior to make God like us more. We change our behavior because God loves us. So often I think this world thinks that God is angry at them, and Jesus is mad at them, and Christians are jerks. And I think they have a valid reason to think that. Because I think a lot of people in the body of Christ, and I've probably done it at times too, have looked like the jerk Christian. Or I have misrepresented God's love and compassion for people. God says to her, I don't condemn you. Now don't go and sin anymore. It's a beautiful illustration of how God changes the heart. Because nobody can stop sinning unless they have access to Jesus. And that's the first thing that Jesus says. You have complete access to me. They brought her in after she caught in the act of adultery. She's before Jesus. He talks with her. He communes with her. And he says, I don't condemn you. That's step one. As we understand first Jesus' love and compassion while we were yet sinners. And number two, we learn from the story Jesus' philosophy of ministry. With Jesus' philosophy of ministry is that we elevate love over our position. That Jesus elevated love over his Old Testament standards. Jesus elevated love over his sexual ethic. Jesus elevated love over, over his view of morality. Jesus in the story shows us his philosophy of ministry, which is the same philosophy of ministry we have at this church that we always need to elevate love over any theological position that we have. Because Jesus knows we can never change our life unless we receive his love. 
As long as if we have an ethic where our ethics are over love, nobody's ever going to be able to change their life because nobody's ever going to measure up to a standard that we put on them. I love how J.D. Greer says, he says, God's acceptance is the power that liberates us from sin, not the reward for having liberated ourselves. God's love and acceptance is the power that liberates us from sin, not the reward for having liberated ourselves. That's our message, that God's love liberates people. You can't liberate it on your own. The bottom line is this, is that we can only get free from the cycle of sin if we understand God's love and acceptance. And people are not going to understand God's love and acceptance unless we are gentle people, unless we're motivated by gentleness. And the third thing we learn from Jesus' illustration is that we do not compromise our position. When we put love over our ethics or over our theology, we don't compromise our position. We just raise love even higher. So many people, when they hear something like Jesus has put love over his theology, a lot of people say, no, you can't do that. No, Jesus never compromised his theology. He just raised love even higher. That's such a unique position to take. And you see, from Jesus, he obeyed the Old Testament law. See, in this illustration, the Old Testament law did exactly what it was supposed to do. It was supposed to bring the sinful person, the unrighteous person, to Jesus. That's what the law does. It shows you your sins. It shows you there's nothing you can do about it. The Old Testament law shows you that you are heavy burdened. It shows you that you can't do anything about you, and it brings you to the feet of Jesus. It's no different than the story last week about how David called for Mephibosheth, and the servant went out and found Mephibosheth, and it brought Mephibosheth to the feet of King David. That's what this illustration's all about, is that the law brings us to Jesus, and Jesus never marginalized the law. Jesus never said, hey, you guys know what? Uh, this law is outdated. This Old Testament law, that's not for today. Or that's irrelevant for today. He never said that. Instead, what Jesus says is, I came to fulfill that law. See, the beautiful part of the story is that Jesus could have thrown the stone at the woman. When Jesus looked at the crowd and said, whoever has not sinned, you can throw the first stone. Jesus could have picked up every single person's stone and start throwing them at that woman. He had every right to do it. Under the Old Testament law, he could have done it. There was provision for Jesus to do that. But Jesus didn't disobey the law. Instead, he took those stones that would come against and kill him. That's the gentleness of Jesus. When he sees the punishment that is headed for you or I or for a person that doesn't know him, and he stands in between and says, you have to drop your stones because I'm going to take the stones that are coming against you that's the beautiful illustration of the gentleness of christ that he'll remove any barrier that would prevent a person coming to him and once that person comes to him he will remove any barrier that would pro prohibit them from having access into heaven jesus's ministry is one of removing barriers it's one of making access to him available to every single person and that's the same ministry that he's called us to. That we would be filled with kindness and that we would be filled with gentleness 
so that we would remove barriers for other people to come to Christ. That's what he has called us to do. That's what he's empowered us to do. And that's what we get to do. But it's not going to happen until Jesus transforms our heart and gives us a gentle heart. That we would be so motivated that we would be like Jesus, that we would just live and breathe to show gentleness to other people. That's the ministry of reconciliation that we have, is to show gentleness and kindness and to compassion. And I'm excited that we get to do that. I'm excited that he's called us to do that. And that he's put that on our heart in a serious way to say, God, would you make us to be more like Christ so we can minister to the woman that was caught in the act of adultery? I think some people can look at our church and say it's kind of discouraging. There's not many people here. Believe me, I can get discouraged. But what does God want to do? The transformation of the lives that he wants to do in our church to make us his ambassadors, to equip us, to motivate us so we can out, go out and speak kindness to people that need kindness the most. So we might be small, but we can be effective. Yeah. We might be small, but there's plenty of room at the table for people. There's not many obstacles to find a good seat in this church. You'll find a good one. We got a whole basement. There's space here. So I'm excited. I'm encouraged. Because this is what God wants to do in us. He wants to make us like Christ. He wants to transform our heart. To fill us with gentleness that we would be motivated over and over again by gentleness. And that makes me excited. People wonder, what, what's God want to do in my life? He wants to make you gentle. That's kind of neat. Especially considering a world that's full of rage. And it's full of angry, and it's anger. And it seems like people think, oh, the way I can win is who's the most angry. That seems to be the commodity in our culture right now. Who's ever the angriest and who's ever the loudest can win. But I think I'd rather be like Jesus, to be who's ever the most gentle and whoever shows the most kindness. Because that's when you get people to drop their stones, is when you show kindness and you show gentleness. Then people will lay down their weapons and walk away. And that's who we get to become. That's what we get to look forward to. So you wonder about all the adversity in your life and the difficult things in your life and the challenges in your life that you all want to go away really bad and we all want those to go away for you. But we can take confidence in the fact that just like Joseph, that God's going to use every obstacle in our life to restore our lives so that we have a story of victory to tell to other people about what God does through challenges so we can relate to the women that's the woman that was caught in the act of adultery or the man who was caught in the act of adultery still got to figure out where he went but he's somewhere in that story that's what we get to do that every challenge every obstacle in our life is a setup for something that God wants to do in a greater way that there's redemption for no matter what we are facing and looking at as I opened this message, I quoted somebody who said, you know, we all want God to resolve everything, and sometimes he doesn't resolve everything. 
but he redeems everything. And we are a people of redemption. So we can celebrate that. So Greg, why don't you lead us in our final song? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. If any of you want to share something, we got time. Or we got space. Or if anybody you have a prayer on your heart, you, there's anything you want to pray for, please come forward. I'll find that cordless microphone somewhere. But let me pray and let's see what happens. Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this message. And God, I come before you, Lord, asking for each person listening or each person part of this community. I know some people are gone today uh, visiting their mothers. But God, I'm asking, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do a deep work in each of our hearts to make us more gentle. That we would be known as a community of gentle people. That your Holy Spirit would do such a work in each of our lives so that we would become more and more like Christ. That we would be known as people that are gentle and as people that are kind. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to each of us. And may we walk out of here transformed by your power and renewed in our mind. Long that, God, that's our desire. And I pray, Lord, that you administer to each person here and listening online. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.